Hello guys, welcome to the Pulsifier Paddock podcast uh, from us guys here at PPF1. Australian Grand Prix, done Mm. and dusted. First one since 2019 down under. And um, there were some high points, there were some low points, and there was a lot of meh, I'm going to say. Yeah, there was bits of it that were kind of harked back to the F1 of old that we were hopefully moving away from this year. And unfortunately, kind of came back a little bit. Uh, John, what did you think? Uh, are you with me on this or? Hundred percent, mate. Hundred percent. The 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 best three letter word I can give is meh. Um, now I don't know. I'm maybe I'm being a little bit disingenuous to to the race and the race weekend because UK time versus Australia time means it was getting up at the crack of dawn to watch it, which I'm going to own up and say I did not do. I set it to record and watched it when I got up with the kids a bit later. Um, but and maybe that was a bit disconnecting. But I don't know. I just I don't think it was a great race. I don't think the changes that have been made to Albert Park have really helped the racing, if I'm that honest. But yeah, not, yeah. not one for the history books, in my opinion. Yeah, I'm going to be the, f- you know, I, when I saw the track changes, I wasn't a fan in the first place. And I was kind of clinging on to hope that actually it might have helped do something. But if anything, I actually kind of feel like the loss of that sort of little right hand or an end down the back straight. I yes. think that kind of actually lost a bit of what Albert Park was, to be honest, because that corner's always been there and sometimes you know we've seen cars get a bit clumsy in there and run off across the grass and uh, and we just kind of lost that and there was a few overtakes in the previous years there as well yes there was it was no matter which way you look at it it was still a heavy braking zone after a straight with a 90 degree right hander um and by changing that for a sweeping straight which then leads into (laughs) a long left hander with that really high speed left right jink, which very rarely has overtakes in it, because we've seen yeah. before that they don't tend to go well. I don't really know what the hope to achieve was there. It it doesn't feel right. I've got no problem. So after that, and I'm terrible with turn numbers, after that, the yeah. there is a long straight with the DRS, and they've made that right turn more acute. So it's more yes. a 90 degree right turn hard on the brakes rather than that sweeping arcing turn that it once was. That potentially holds some extra value because harder braking zones is where we see yeah. overtaking manoeuvres. But yeah, yeah, but it, for me, there wasn't enough for that though because all, all you need is a slightly compromised run through that chicane, and it doesn't matter if you got DRS, you're not going to get there by the time you, you're into that corner. Um, you know, I mean, the the fast left right jink. Uh, I mean, that was. That caused a few problems with some of it for these guys this weekend. Notable one, Carlos Sainz, unfortunately. Mm. Um, Mr. Consistent, as I've labelled him. He, God, Carlos seemed to have a real rough weekend of it. He seemed a bit flustered, a bit frustrated. Um, you know, qualifying didn't go well because I had an issue with the car. And then he ended up P9. And he said he was angry and he was going to be angry until he went to bed. And it was... It just wasn't a good weekend for him because, you know, then he came into the race and he was one of the few that started on the hard compound of tyres. And um, he just dropped backwards. He just, he was getting swarmed. And in his desperation to sort of make up ground, of course, he made a mistake and 
that was curtains for him. Yeah. Uh, God, I mean, we we saw free practice and in quali, we saw like the likes of Seb Vettel getting on that outside curb, and that mm. was it, lap done. We saw the likes of the Haas cars getting out there. You know, it was, and you know, we've seen some big incidents on the exit of that corner. And your team had blocked the notable one in the Toyota when he absolutely destroyed his car way back when. That was what, 2007, mm-hmm. somewhere around then. Oh, we've seen some major um, accidents at Albert Park. You know, let's not have, forget uh, yeah, Alonso flipping yeah. uh, what would be what turn three. Um, somebody else yeah. went off majorly in that corner as well. I want to say Rubens Barrichello, but it, you know, there's uh, there's been a few incidents there. Martin Brundle when his Jordan snapped in half. Yeah, Brundle had a huge yeah. one back there. No, Barrichello's big off was at turn one at the with start of a Grand Prix when he was Ralph, in Ferrari. Wasn't it? Yeah, was that with Ralph sailing over the back of him? Yeah, mm. that yeah. I mean, 2002 was chaos. Um, we didn't have that this year. Um, no, and and I'm glad we didn't. You know, I, we've talked about this over the weekend that lots of people tune into F1 to watch the crashes and watch the accidents. Yeah, we're not interested in that. We're purists. We like the racing like that goes racing. along with it. Yeah, the race like an accident is over in a split second. Yeah. The racing is what's that we're there for long term. Mm. Um, I want to talk about a couple of drivers who have just been all at sea again this weekend. Mm-hmm. Um, two that we've been saying repeatedly sh- are probably looking like they shouldn't be on the F1 grid. Are they both Nick- Canadian nationals? Ah, do you know, it's funny you should say that. <laughs> yes, they are. Um, yeah, Nicholas Latifi, Lance Stroll. What a clumsy incident that was. Uh, yeah, just check your mirrors, boys, for God's yeah. sake. I mean, it was a cluster fuck, wasn't it? It was horrendous. Like, I get the blue flag for Latifi, and he did the right thing. He jumped out the way, and the queue of cars were quite happily going past. I don't know why Stroll did what he did in shooting past Latifi mm-hmm. and then immediately backing off. And then he's just dawdling. He sort of, you can see him, he's in the middle of the track. Mm-hmm. And you just like, oh, for God's sake. And then Latifi's like, well, if he's not going, I want the track space to go again for another lap. So he goes to go past on the right-hand side. And there isn't really anywhere further right he can really be. And we just see Lance jink the wheel to the right. And what? Really unnecessary. I mean, being in the middle of the track itself was unnecessary. But that there was a full-on jink to the right to close that gap. Yeah, but no and reason. Then there, and he's there giving fucking Latifi the bloody hands, and it's like, well, that's on you, mate. Like, and the, the you know, I'm not being funny. Aston Martin are for me the the wooden spoon winners this weekend. Um, they had horrendous uh, issues all throughout this weekend. You know, Seb, how many issues has Seb had this weekend? I Fancy. mean. Well, so in fairness, and, you know, it's not often I'll stick up for Seb, but I do feel a little bit of sympathy for Seb because he had COVID for the first two races. We we already know the discussions around long COVID and our lack of understanding about how long it takes for people to recover if they ever recover back to, you know, whatever it was they were beforehand. Um, And then he did, I think I want to say, 18 laps before he had catastrophic engine failure. Yes. Then they got the car working again, and then there was an accident in practice three. Um, and then yep. after that, he's just been a little bit out of sorts. But somebody, I can't remember who it was, someone on the live coverage over the weekend was talking about Seb, and they were saying his body language doesn't look right. 
yeah. that's a team that needs a leader in there to motivate them and push them along. And he's sort of slumped shouldered at the back, kind of, well, it'll be what it'll be. And we've yeah. said before, we think Seb's lost the love. We, I, I suspect this could be his well, last season. Well, I think, because did we not say last year, we said if Aston Martin don't get this technical regulation change right and give him a competitive car, I think we said then that will be the final nail for Seb to go. Do you know what? I've got a family now. Mm. I've got things away from Formula One that he can focus his attention on. Yeah. And let's not take anything away from the guy. He's had a hugely successful F1 career. He has. You know, a four-time world Four champion. Times. Yeah. I mean, that um, puts him in an elite company. It does. It does. And, you know, his recent years haven't been great. There were flashes of old Seb last year, but he's not old Seb anymore. He's, yeah, like you say, it seems as if he's lost a love. And I think this year with the car that he's got, it's just compounded that. I think it's just, you know, it's bringing an end to a highly successful career. You could argue maybe he should have gone at the end of last year with Kimi. Mm. But... But at the time, there were flashes of brilliance still coming out of him. And he still put Lance in his place, which, let's be honest, that's not hard to do. Um, <laughs> uh, I don't think Lance has actually ever outplaced a teammate in his F1 career. I'm just thinking back. I I'll be right. I don't think he has. I don't think he has, because Massa used to wipe the floor with him. Mm. Um yeah, I don't think he has. <laughs> just yeah, I, I I just think I just think this year Aston they've they've got a mountain to climb, yeah. uh, and you, my my concern is I'm not seeing any true leadership from within that team either from the drivers, but lead, you know more so from the the higher ups that they've drafted in. Mm. You know, Lawrence Stroll has gone and spent all these millions, and I'm not really seeing. The Any results. sort of return from that. Yeah, there's yeah, what what are we getting for that money? Mm. That's big questions to be asked, you know. Yeah, Seb, like when you look at his weekend, like practice one, for instance, Seb did five laps with no lap time set due to the issues. Mm -hmm. Lance Stroll was 19th in front of him with only 11 laps completed. Mm. And then you look at practice two, and yeah, okay, um, Lance was up there in 14th, but again, Seb no running. Practice three then, you know, I mean, the Astons were never higher than 13th all weekend, mm. which is atrocious for a team that's got such motorsporting heritage and money available and resources available. Uh, yeah, not good. I, uh, yeah, I'll, I'll call it here. Seb to retire end of the year. Yeah, I, I reckon that's it. It's done. I'm with you. I'm with you. I don't, yeah. I don't, you know, he's clearly still got it. He's still a, a very capable yeah. driver. And with the right motivation, I'm sure he could be a world champion again. I yes. don't see that motivation coming in Formula One. Equally, you know, he's in a position now where I'm sure he could retire quite comfortably oh, off yeah. to the hills somewhere. Maybe he wants to go yeah. and try something else. Maybe it's time to go and try GT or Endurance Series. Go and have a go at Le Mans. Hulkenberg had a great go at Le Mans a few years back. But I don't think Formula One is is in his long-term future anymore. No, and I, I think he'll still be something of a mentor to Mick because we know that relationship has existed since Mick was a kid, you know, because uh, Seb and Michael used to fly places together and all that. So, you know, there's that. And there's a lot of experience he can give to Mick and, you know, guide him. But 
in terms of his outright thing, when you compare him, interestingly, to the elder statesman of the grid, Fernando, mm -hmm. Fernando still seems fired up for it day in, day out, whereas Seb just kind of, yeah, I'm here, I'm on the F1 grid, it's, you know. Yeah, I know what you mean. I mean, Fernando looked looked like he was on good form this weekend, but he did. I think Fernando was unlucky with the safety cars during the race. Um yes. But then, going on to the median tyres, I'd expected to see that car sigh through the field, and it given, just didn't. Yeah, given the pace he was showing in qualifying, because let's not forget, well, um, I, we went through the Delta times for his qualifying. Mm. Lando, uh, well, Lando? Nando was on a hell of a lap when his car went into a hydraulic failure, unfortunately, and put him off in the wall. Um, we've seen this, though, where you can repair a car and put the same setup back on it and then the car doesn't behave the same we've mm -hmm. seen that before and maybe that's what's happened i don't know you know it, f1 cars are temperamental beasts yeah, yeah. um but his his lap you know sector one he was what five hundredths down on leclerc and then sector two he was two over two temps up on mm -hmm. leclerc he was purple sector two yeah, he was looking sharp. That, yeah if he'd nailed that sector three there's a real chance he would either have Given Charles a good run, or put it put that Alpine on the front row, and I think that's a lost opportunity for Alpine there. I think they've, you know, they've missed out on a trick um, with something. It, but we're seeing these reliability issues this year because uh, the next notable one to talk about, Max again, Red Bull. What's going on? Another Red Bull powertrain bites the dust. Yeah, it's. Um... It's worrying times. I did note as well that our dear friend, Mr. Horner, had a, a neat little dig at Mercedes after the race as well. I believe his quote was something on the lines of, I'd rather have a fast, fix a fast, unreliable car than fix a slow, reliable car. And that's, that's a dig at Mercedes. Yeah. There's no two ways about it. Yeah. Um, but, but he should be worried. He should be worried because, let's be honest... Um, you know, it fell to Checo to again bring the car home. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, I'm not taking anything away from Checo. He's been consistent all weekend. P2 at the end of the race. You know, he's doing what he needs to do. Mr. Consistency he has been for years. Yeah, he has been for years. And he just makes tyres last as well. You know, he's got a really good skill set for this era of Formula One. Mm -hmm. um, you know, he might not be outright on raw pace the fastest guy, but he's there or thereabouts when it counts. And you know, picks up the pieces. It's concerning, you know. I, I, I just, I don't understand that that dig because at the end of the day, you're behind them in the constructors. You're mm -hmm. falling away. You're massively behind now in the drivers' championship. Mm. So if you're meant to be giving Max a car to defend his world title at the moment, you're kind of failing. And you know, everyone was saying, "Oh, you know, Red Bull finally got an opportunity now to get a constructors." And yet again, Ferrari are like, "Ha, ah, well, no." <laughs> we'll see. We'll see about that. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, Charles yet again driving like an absolute man possessed. Uh, he's he's in the form of his life. Yeah. I'm going to say it now. He he's, and for me, the way he presents himself, the way he comes across, he for me is the pretty good picture of what I would want a world champion material driver to be. He's, you know, he's young, he's fast, he's being consistent. 
but he's not being dirty. He's not being, you know, he's, he hasn't given off those kind of arrogant tones that we usually see. Um, and I don't know, I'm just finding it quite satisfying. I mm. really am. Um, I agree. But equally yeah. with that, he's not being rattled. You know, Max, as we know, is very antagonistic in his style. Charles isn't being rattled by this at all. Because um, this, of course, was the first weekend where we saw the the Max Verstappen safety car rule in place, whereby you don't, uh, you're not allowed to come alongside the the car that has replaced the safety car at the end. Yeah. Um, but yeah, Charles is Charles is shouldering that responsibility really well. He's showing great yeah, maturity. He is. He is. Uh, and, you know, I mean, we saw even last year. I don't know. We're saying about Charles getting rattled, but we saw last year when things were going well for Verstappen. He, you know, he wasn't, you know, he, he was fine. But when he come under pressure from Hamilton, even he was getting rattled. You know, it was, it, he's very easy to trigger into one of his kind of, you know, rants and all that kind of stuff. And I don't know, he just kind of loses his head. He's a bit hot-headed. Um, doesn't really, doesn't really do it for me, mate, to be honest. Um, kind of past it. But I guess another man that, you know, we can say well done to George getting his first mm. podium, first podium in Mercedes colours. Yeah. Um, and for me, do you know what? He's looking a lot more settled with the car than Hamilton is. Hamilton's mm. kind of f flapping. I think he's flapping a bit here. And George is just kind of getting his head down, getting on with it, not trying anything outlandish with setups and stuff to make up the difference. He's just, I'll deal with the car as it is. I'll bring it home. Mm. And he had the legs on Hamilton all weekend again. Um, he most certainly did. I, I you know, and we've yeah. seen we George nearly won a race in that car last year. Um, yeah. he's he's yeah. done remarkably well, and he's he's out he's outstripping Lewis Hamilton for pace and consistency at the moment. He's he was very much there on merit, and and fair play to him. He did a he did a great job for for a driver who's automatically coming in in a de facto yeah. number two position. And very exactly. quickly, going back to Ferrari, Carlos needs some support, some, you know, be that from a, a psychologist yes. or similar, because he's he's starting to overdrive the car, he's starting to make mistakes, and he's starting to fall into a de facto number two position. And they've always, Ferrari have always said the two of them are equal drivers, and that's fair, because Carlos is no slouch, he's a good driver. No, yeah, exactly. um, but Charles is in the form of his life and driving that car impeccably well, and Carlos hasn't raised his game quite enough just yet. No, and you could see he was overdriving it when he had his incident that ultimately led to his demise in the race. You know, why he tried to go around the outside into that fast left-right, it was just ridiculous because, you know, we know the marbles and stuff that come off these Pirelli tyres. You get off the racing line there and it's a one-line corner. I'm sorry, it's a one-line like double corner. And, you know, off he sailed, basically. And that was all she wrote. He just needs to get back into what he was doing last year. Last year, he was just focused on the task at hand, putting it in the laps, bringing it home. He needs to resettle himself and just go back to doing what he does best. And that's just, forget the, you know, the overdriving aspect. Just drive within your limits because your natural talent is actually pretty fucking good. Well, oh, it's you in know. his blood. We know what his dad was capable yeah. of exceptional yeah world rally champion mm. so yeah uh yeah difficult weekend for carlos it's a shame because mm. i think that's the first time i've really seen him as 
sort of I don't know just out of it in quite some time yeah he sort of he, he came unstuck he didn't look himself he didn't look like he was in in the right headspace or the right place no of course um a, a bit of a resurgence from mclaren again this weekend as mm, well much better Good performance job. from mclaren yeah yeah both of them in q3 which was fantastic to see especially for me to see danny rick actually get to grips with the car a bit more this weekend um, you know, whether that's just the vibes of the home Grand Prix for the Aussie bloke, I don't know. But um That's help. Yeah. But fifth and sixth in the race, that's that's best of the rest, really. Yeah. You know, when you when you look at it, that's uh, you know, that's an eighteen point haul for McLaren from this race. Which given how we saw them in Bahrain, I you know, I I I'd wrote them off already. I'd said mm. that's it, they need a B spec car, da, 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 da. But they seem to have got their heads around whatever was going on with it. And they're starting to, you know, get the car working how they want it working. Um, if they continue that, then I reckon they'll probably, at the end of the season, if they can keep that up, maybe looking at P4 and the constructors again, you know, being sort of in the mix with Alpine. Um, and the I'm not going to rule out Alpine at this stage because they've looked good. No, Ocon yeah. has looked okay. He wasn't as sharp this weekend as he has been. Um, uh, you know, Fernando, we know, is no slouch. He's, he's had some good performances. So I'm not going to rule out Alpine just yet. But if McLaren yeah. can keep this up, they're certainly looking much more towards the sharp end. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. And that's good to see. That's good to see because I didn't want to see him slip back into their sort of first year of Honda days where they were just woefully off the pace. Yeah. A GP2 engine, as uh, Fernando called it. Um, but yeah. So, yeah, I'd like to say Alpine, can't count them out. Um, Ocon, another six points. Um, he's just, he's, he's been there all weekend, really sort of just consistent lower end points positions. Mm. Um, obviously, we have to mention the the record of Q3, Q3 appearances for Bottas came to an end. It did. What was it, 100, 103, something like 100 that? And... 103 official officially that was yeah with a p12 on the grid for bottas but comes home again p8 in the race for some more points so you know he's still plugging away for little old alpha there very yeah. nice um ah, what do yeah. we say about yeah now wasn't Jones. quite so sharp yeah. was he no he he looked a bit out of it, but I mean, he came in P11, so he's just missed out on points again. Mm. You know, he's he's starting to become Mr. P11 by the looks of things. You know, sort of in that out just outside the points, so I didn't quite make it uh, territory. Um, I mean, thankfully he beat Lance Stroll, which is always a good thing. <laughs> um, yeah, he didn't look quite as hot property as he did in the opening race of the season, but. It is his learning year, so I'm just I'm giving him benefit of the doubt. And he stayed out of trouble and brought it home. So, you know, as far as it goes, he's getting the laps under his belt for the experience. It's not as if he's binning the car off into the wall every you know, 10 no, seconds. Absolutely. He's not desperately overdriving the car, trying to do something that he knows isn't, isn't possible. You know, he's bringing it home. And actually, if it was a little bit more, if it was 9, 10, 8th position... We'd be saying he's bringing home consistent points and doing a good yeah. job. Um, yeah, 
but he's also he's new to Formula One. He's you know he he's got plenty to learn. Yuki Tsunoda in his first race in Bahrain, not this yeah. not this year, the year before, looked great. He looked like he was going to be a real breath of fresh air and was doing some good things, and then went off the boil and has never really got back to those levels. He's certainly nowhere near Gasly's levels. So you know Zhao has the opportunity and learning from a revived Valtteri Bottas, who's you know doing great things in that car. Yeah. He's got an, he's got a chance. Yeah, he has got a chance, you know, and he's got a great mentor in Bottas as well. So, you know, if you, if you want to, well, if you want to learn anything about F1, Bottas has kind of been there now and, you know, he's he's been in championship winning teams and everything else. He, he, he's got an idea as to what it's going to take to succeed. Um, yeah, uh, Alpha Tori picked up a couple of points with Gasly in P9. Um I didn't really see too much of Gasly all weekend, to be honest. He just no, kind of he was absent, quietly wasn't he? around. Yeah, just was quietly just plodding around the track. P11 in qualifying, P9 in the race. Didn't really see much of him. Um, you know, there's a quiet race and two points. I mean, that's, yeah, I suppose it's it's a result for Alpha Tori. It's points again. And it's probably, you know, based on what we've seen so far of the AlphaTauri this season, it's probably about where their performance metrics are. We just we've become so used to watching Gasly overdrive and, and outperform that car and, and do wonders with it. Um and you know, arguably not seeing your driver on the camera is not necessarily a bad thing. You know, we actually didn't see a great deal of Charles Leclerc, but that's because he drove a, a near impeccable race and practically led it from start to finish, apart from the pit stop conundrums. Well, well... Interestingly, he this was his first Grand Slam. Um, so he had pole position, the mm -hmm. fastest lap. He led every lap of the Grand Prix did and he? got the race win. He did. I thought he pitted and Lewis didn't, and Lewis led for a lap. Oh, so um, weird that he has got the Grand Slam, his first ever Grand Slam. Okay. Uh, yeah, I mean, fair play to him. <laughs> Yeah, fair play to him. Well, you know, yeah. Um, I've got to say, notable mention though this this weekend. Uh, Williams off the mark. Williams actually getting a point in little old Albono's hands. Uh, yeah, bizarre. I need I need to re-review exactly how that came about because I'm not sure if it was a master stroke from the the tacticians at Williams or if actually they made a bit of a cock up. Okay, well we've. Done the time frame. We've, we're basically the Doctor Who, aren't we, really? We've, we've just moved forward in time. Um, with a new special guest. <laughs> yeah. Are you going to say yeah. hello, Stanley? No. No. <laughs> no. Um, I can't remember where we were. I know we had um, got down to talking about uh, Al Alex Albono and Joe. Um. Yeah, and we were talking about the fact that we were quite pleased that yeah. Joe managed to uh, to outdo Lance Stroll. I think we were yeah. talking about Williams, because I remember saying, um, I still can't work out whether Williams either cocked up their strategy or did an amazing strategic call, because they left Albon out on the hards for what one lap minus the end. And yeah. then brought him in for soft at the end. Now, I can't make my mind up whether what they were trying to do was get him to come out and the race be one lap short because he'd been lapped. 
which looking at the timestamps can't be the case. No, yeah. So he must have had to go out and still do one flying lap at the end in order to finish in P10. Therefore, surely, if they'd have put him on the soft tyres with four or five laps to go, he would have had nice fresh rubber. He might even have snuck in an extra point for getting the fastest lap. I just... Everyone's yeah. telling me how great the Williams tacticians are in order to have done this, and it feels like something went wrong, frankly. Yeah, it's it's a bit of an interesting one because obviously the softs are God because they they've done a weird compound thing, didn't they, for the Australian Grand Prix? Because we had the C two C three, then they skipped the C four, and we had the C five, which is Correct. the hardest. Yeah, which well, seemed to got, be popular. Yeah, if you've got everyone that's on that hard compound, the C five, surely the time delta between the softs then and those hard tires is going to be a lot bigger. Mm. So if they'd pitted him earlier. I mean, I'm looking at the Delta. He finished three seconds behind Gasly in the end. I reckon he probably could have had a shot at getting in there with, and mixing it with Gasly and um, maybe even Bottas at a push, you know, and, and possibly <laughs> snagged, a, a, you know, a point or a few points more. And like you say, the fastest lap as well could have been uh, there for the taking. I think um, so. I mean, we saw Bottas get past Gasly because Gasly fell off the road and had yeah. been complaining on the radio that his tyres were shot. So yes. it, it sort of stands to reason that he would have been in with a half-decent chance, but by leaving him out on the hard tyres for the entire race... Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. I mean, tyres were a difficult one because, I mean, we saw how quickly Max... Um, <laughs> as we saw, Max just completely... He was there with Leclerc. Then, as the moment he had graining on the front left, that was it. Like he was way back. The Red Bull didn't do well with graining, whereas the Ferrari kind of handled it much better. Um, but yeah, I just think yeah, like you say, I think Williams maybe have missed out on an extra point there um, at the very least. I think uh, so. But, Feels like an opportunity missed. Yeah. But maybe I'm calling it wrong. <clears throat> I'm seeing lots of noise on Twitter and. The typical memes that come out of an F1 weekend talking about big brain Williams and how their tactician was got it spot on. So maybe I've missed a trick there, but it, it just doesn't sit right somehow. Yeah, no, I, I know what you're saying. Um, I mean, what I will say is that, well, I mean, moving away from Williams, a team that struggled to get their car dialed in here this weekend, Haas, uh, unfortunately. Um they were kind of nowhere, um, floundering around essentially where they finished, you know, P13, P14. That was a nothingness weekend for them. Um, Gunther was saying it was all setup issues and they couldn't get the setup dialed in. I think it was probably more the car just isn't suited to this track, um, you know. I mean, that's possible. That's possible. I I find it hard to believe that because the Ferrari powertrain seems to be oh, particularly good. what's working yeah. well because we see the Alpha, the Haas and the Ferrari all doing wonderful things. So, And this is a track where there's a number of long straights where a powertrain should really help you. So yeah. that would sort of seem odd. Um, I don't know. Mick is about where he has been. Yeah, he's Kevin is significantly lower. So when we're talking yeah. about setup issues, it's it's certainly possible that Kevin just didn't get his setup right this weekend. Yeah. 
Mick still developing and evolving how he wishes to set up the car. Um, yeah. Yeah, not sure. No. It's a bit of a shame because I was kind of hoping upon hope that, uh, you know, Mick would be in the mix for his first points paying position and the, you know, the, the run would continue. Um, obviously, what Haas don't want is for the likes of Alpha Tori and your Williams cars to start picking up points because that then brings them into contention for losing the spot in the constructors position, which for Haas at the moment, without a title sponsor, they kind of need that money now for the position in the constructors to to push on from. Yeah, they do. Um, you know, I because at the moment I'm not seeing any, I'm not even seeing any grumblings that they've even got negotiations on going for a title sponsor yet. So, you know, there's been literally nothing, um, which is a bit of a bit of a concern. Um, but uh, you know, it's a situation they find themselves in, obviously, with everything that's going on. And we've um, seen this before. I mean, let's let's not forget yeah. the um, the Braun Braun GP car yes, effectively yeah. went into the season with no sponsors. As the season went on, they started to develop some. I'm not sure they ever really got a title sponsor. They got no. lots of people who wanted their name on the car in places, but not necessarily a title sponsor. Um, and I, I honestly don't know where Braun was funded from. My my honest thoughts and opinion are probably Ross Braun's own wallet as much as possible, but. Um, um... Well, actually, uh, there was a, a thing, uh, some sort of history thing about Braun. Um, so Braun struck a deal. He invested twenty million, I think, of his own assets, and then Honda actually contributed the the rest. They said, "We'll give you the exact amount of money to see you to the end of the season, and after that, we are not giving you anything further past that point." Okay. So. Yeah, it was nice that Honda did that, and I, you know, I could see why they said no more after that because it's not their team anymore. They're yeah. not obliged to to do that. Um, but yeah, there was a lot more expense from Honda than I think they had originally planned on. Because um, obviously, I don't think you know they weren't meant to be on the grid that year. No, they so, pulled out, but they did pull yeah. out at very short notice, and I suspect you know, I don't know, I might be being uh, unfair to Honda here. It could be that Honda did that very much out of the goodness of their own heart. It could be that their legal team said, you pulled out at short notice and your term and your terms and conditions in the contract says you must give teams at least 36 months notice of an intended removal from the sport. Yeah. Um, and actually that was sort of their middle ground. I, I don't know. But normally there are some fairly robust things in this place. I mean, Renault gave nearly two years notice when they were going to remove engine yeah. provider power. Yep. So, well. Yeah, uh, Concord agreement. I'm sure probably had something to play a part in that because mm -hmm. yeah, I imagine there's sanctions that would have been put upon them for just upping and leaving, and then um, randomly coming back again a few years later in the yeah, server hybrid era. <laughs> just very Honda, very bizarre. They just sort of yin and yang with being in F1 and being out of F1, mm. kind of then being on the periphery, and it's just like you know, you're either in or you're out. You know, yeah, you, can't, you can't you can't pass F1. You can't. Um, yeah, so a bit of a difficult one for Haas. Um, obviously, coming in behind them was Yuki, who just for me again did nothing this weekend. Um, agreed, he's not showing the development and the promise that I think we'd all hoped from him. Um, you know, we were saying just before I had to go and get the Wii one here, but um, that first race at Bahrain showed some real promise there was some real excitement around this young japanese driver and 
could Japan now finally have a real contender up there? Um, and then he he's just never really refound that form. He's never felt comfortable in the car. It just not got right for him. Yeah, it's faded faded away yet again. Completely outclassed by Gasly again this weekend. Mm. Um, yeah, nothingness. And of course, you know, Latifi bringing it home as last sort of you know, well, I say last of the runners. I know Alonso was way off the back. I'm not sure what happened to Alonso. No, I must have missed this as well. I presume he went in for a final pit stop. It looks like it because he's got a second pit stop put against him. But, but was that him coming in for the? I yeah, I honestly don't know what the hell happened yeah. to Alonso. He he had a weekend where he showed so much promise and just didn't deliver. Mm. Latifi doesn't well. show promise. Yeah. Latifi, deliver. yeah. Yeah, yeah, Latifi. I think we, you know, I think he was just told, "Look, mate, just don't crash it and bring it home this time, please." You know, for God's sake, because yeah, <laughs> didn't go well for him in qualifying in that respect, then did it? No, no. Yet again, just all at sea, just all at sea, mm -hmm. just looking completely out of his depth again, and it's it's a shame. It's a bit of a shocker, really. But you know, what what more can you do? <laughs> Apart from, you know, I don't know, fire him and put someone decent in the car. Mm. But, hey, one thing I, I did notice this weekend, which I thought was quite interesting, is I noticed some really severe porpoising from the Ferrari. Mm. More so than I've ever seen before. But very specifically, it was that long sweeping left-hander in between the two bits of the track that they've changed. The car was really poor poising through there, but not yeah. as noticeably on the other straights, which I don't yeah. know if that indicates something about camber or something about the degree of, of turn angle that's in the wheel is affecting it. Um, but yeah, it was it was really quite pronounced. It was. and But surprisingly, though, their lap times were still right. You know, mm. it didn't seem to hurt them. Um, and it was quite funny because uh, old Sir Lewis, he come out and he said, I don't get it. I don't understand. It's like our car is doing exactly the same. And we believed that the porpoising was what was costing our Mercedes the lap time. Mm -hmm. He said, but now I've seen them still like bouncing violently like that. And then they've pulled a great lap time out of the bag. He's like, so where are we losing the lap time? He said, I'm at a complete loss now, you know, mm -hmm. um, and he's got a point. Where are they losing? Is it just an inherently bad design from Mercedes? You know, is it have they got it wrong somewhere else on the car? I'm still you know? sticking. There's something in the powertrain. There's something in the engine gearbox yeah. combo that is making yeah. that difference because it's affecting all of the cars. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It is absolutely. Um, but yeah, I can see why he'd probably be puzzled by it. I, I get that. You know, it's it's when you sort of think from the get-go, oh, it's just because our car's porpoising and da -da -da -da, it's costing us so much lap time. Well, on the basis that Ferrari or Leclerc pulled out that qualifying pole position time whilst da -da 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 -da, all the way down that blooming left-hander, I would say, actually, probably not. That's not costing you the time. Mm. You know, it's got to be something else somewhere, um, like you say, probably engine-related um, and a mixture of their extravagant side-pop design and everything. I just, I don't know, maybe they've just pushed the boundaries a little bit too far. Because there was a number of teams that said, oh yeah, we, we came up with those side pods ourselves. But we literally looked at the data and like, nope, that's not the way to go. You know, Ferrari and Haas being two of them. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it says it all. Yeah, right. it does. It does. I mean, I, 
I don't know how much I trust Haas to say they developed something because we know that Dallara is responsible for most of the development of their car. They don't have a wind tunnel, etc., etc. Yeah. Part of me thinks I should trust the Mercedes development team more in that respect. But equally, yes, it does stand to reason that other teams have, have come out and said, we looked at that route, decided it wasn't the way to go and went a different direction. Mm. Yeah. One thing I do want to talk about this weekend as well, from the race, which I thought was noteworthy, was Sebastian Vettel's accident in the race. Mm. And the reason I think yeah. it's noteworthy is most of the comments I've read are a driver of that calibre shouldn't be dropping it, that's not a place that you spin, etc, etc. When I watch the replay, I'm wondering whether ground effect is partly to blame here, because lots of cars were avoiding that right-hand curb because it is quite an aggressive curb but it yeah. is but historically yeah. people have ridden it to extend that corner and carry as much speed through it as possible seb hits that curb and where we're talking about ground effect and that low pressure under the car if you are tilting the car up on a high curb you are reducing that that low pressure effect yeah. under the car therefore you're reducing the ground effect suction and you're relying on the old fashioned aerodynamics going over the top. If that's yes. what happened, then did the rear of the car just go light when he wasn't expecting it and it swapped end on him? Yeah, and then obviously when he's come off it, it's going to re-suck to the ground as well because all of a sudden it's back on that level surface as well. And that's, you kind of, yeah, I think that's something we're going to see a lot more of at tracks where you used to be able to really run the curbs. Mm. Um, I I think that you know that's case in point now. Stay away from the bloody curbs because you know if that's the end result, a lot of people are going to be taking an early bath. Mm -hmm. And you know, as, as a you know, especially the teams that are struggling for parts, like your Haas team and your Williams cars, you, you probably are telling them that you, we've seen it happen to him. You stay off that curb seriously because we can't afford another chassis or another you know suspension set or whatever. You know, it's like. We've used our spare parts. <laughs> that's that's where we're at. Uh, yeah, it makes things a bit difficult um, for sure because obviously there's obviously lap time to be found by using extra bits of whip. Yeah, but there always is. At you know, but at what cost? You know, do you push the limits and go out there looking for it, knowing full well that when the ground effect is suddenly gone and then it suddenly comes back, you could be spat off into a wall. And costs, yeah. you know, as much as I, I hate to admit it because it's sort of the antithesis of, of, you know, going fast and the performance, but cost has to factor into it. You know, we grew up in the era, era of T cars. Of um, yes. And, you know, if you binned your car in qualifying, they'd still get on and start rebuilding it. But the first thing they'd do is start getting the pedal from the seat in for the T car so that you were ready to go out again. Yeah, it, budgets were much less of a concern before we started getting the budget caps in a few years ago. Now, particularly for teams like Haas, you know, we know that it was it was what a million pounds to to a rebuild yeah. the yeah. the Mick Schumacher's car. They can't afford that week in week out. They'll find themselves not being able to build two cars or any cars at yeah. all if we keep on with that kind of um, expenditure. So they need to be a bit more careful. You. Ferraris, your McLarens, uh, not McLarens, your Mercedes, your big teams with manufacturer resources behind them are probably okay. McLaren and Williams, I think, are probably in a slightly tricky position. I honestly don't know what Red Bull's financial position is. 
No, I suspect no it's probably idea. okay if they've got the uh, the drinks giant behind them, but you never know. Yeah, I mean, Red Bull kind of got a bit of everything now, haven't they? They've got the yeah, the soft drinks market. They've now got a clothing brand. They've got all this motorsports stuff. Uh, I, I would a circuit. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> yes, of course. Yes. So how can I forget that? An entire facility. Yeah. Yeah. yeah it's 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 interesting. Um, but yeah, like you say, Hass especially with no sort of real sponsorship income and all that kind of stuff. You're kind of relying on Gene to keep on dipping in his wallet and going, oh, yeah, I'll I'll have to pay for that. I'll have to pay for mm. that. It's going to come a point where he's going to say, lads, d- no. And I think that. Gene has said that a couple of times. I don't think he's as keen to be funding a team to come in low down. You know, we saw we talked before on this podcast that first season where they showed real promise and were up at the sharp yeah. end for a while. That would have been okay from a development point of view, but Gene Haas is not going to continue to fund the car with his name on it coming at the back of the grid. This season is certainly looking better, but I suspect what will hinge on is where they finish in the constructors this year. If they finish yeah. high enough to get a decent payout from the FIA, that will see them comfortable enough to continue on next year. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, it's very much results-based for Haas. They're, yeah, he's he's in his element, isn't he? He is, yeah. <laughs> Sorry, again, for, for any audio podcast listeners out there, um, my, what are you now, 15-month-old, is sitting on my knee playing with the Thrustmaster steering wheel that was very kindly loaned to me from, uh, from Steve here uh, and having a whale of a time. When it is, what time is it, Stan? It is 10 to 1 in the morning. 10 to 1. Yeah. And you have, I've already been into your bed three times. You should be sleeping, but apparently you have no interest in doing so. Well, I mean, I'm just putting it out there, but, you know, if he can handle night shift, possible future career as a world endurance driver. <laughs> Take on the night, the night, the night stint. There you go, see? <laughs> Is that what you you're agree. thinking, Stan? <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe a few years before you can reach the pedals, though, Sunshine. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Give Give it a bit of time to get a bit of growth there. You know. <laughs> um. <laughs> yeah. It. I don't know though. I mean, on the whole, I mean, there wasn't really much <laughs> from this race that kind of stood out as major talking points. I think <laughs> the biggest news was, oh, we've not got the Russian Grand Prix this year. So what we're going to do is we're going to have two races at Singapore. Oh. oh. Uh, well, please don't do that. We've got we've got great tracks like Istanbul and Kailami and all that out there in the world. Let's yeah. go to one of those. You know, yeah. crikey. Let's yeah, absolutely. A decent track, not this. And, and for that matter, um, now this my geography could be letting me down here, but uh, Malaysia is not far from Singapore, is it? Exactly. We haven't been to the Malaysian circuit for a few years, but it was a mainstay on the calendar for a really long time. Why don't we yeah. go there? Exactly. Yeah, logistically, that wouldn't be too challenging to get yeah. to. It would it's add some FIA variety. Nonsense. Yeah, it's a tier one circuit. You know, it's top tier circuit still. It's still got certification. You know, World yeah. Endurance still go there and MotoGP still go there. Well, let's go there. Like, what, what's the big deal about this? Like, it's got everything. It was purpose built in ninety. You know, in the late nineties for Formula One. Like, it first came on the calendar in nineteen ninety nine. So that was a, a bless you moment there. <laughs> it was, yeah. I'll wipe down the steering wheel after. Yeah. Um, 
Yeah, it's, 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 it's ready and waiting. It would. And do you know what? I mean, I haven't looked at the calendar in enough detail. These are off-the-cuff comments now. But we already have a double Italian because we've got Monza as a, as a classic that's in yeah. there every year. And we've got Imola now back on the calendar. During the pandemic, we also went to Mugello. And actually, yes. I love Mugello as a track. I think it's a wonderful circuit. And I'd be really happy to see us go there again. Um, equally, yeah. there are lots of British tracks that we haven't been to. You know, the last time we ran Donington was, what, 93? For the um, uh, the European Grand Prix, it was at the time. Yes. Now, Donington might not be classified in order to do so. Brands Hatch, I don't know if it would be classified to do right. so. They probably have problems with uh, with their certies and some of the early corners. But it used to be a Formula One circuit. I'm sure there are other places that we could go to. Yeah, there is. A, you look at the, the the vast range of circuits out there. Um, I mean, crikey! I mean, let's just think here. We've also got notable absences, Nürburgring or Hockenheim that we could go to. We haven't had a German track for a while. Um, no. There's something going on there behind the scenes, presumably with financial negotiations that they're not yeah. putting them through. Well, Hockenheim stated they would host a race if the cost was lowered because they barely broke even the last time they hosted the F1, which if you're breaking even, there's no point doing it really because, well you're not gaining anything from the actual F1. You know, you kind of want to look to make an increase on either ticket sales or merchandising or whatever. But, yeah, Hockenheim... To be honest, I'm going to say it, Hockenheim hasn't really attracted the crowds since it went to the, you know, the 2001 layout when they yeah. got rid of the long run through the forest. I liked... And, I, you know, I get, I get it, but I liked I that it. long run through the forest. It's... It's probably just an age thing. It's what I remember. It's the first time I saw German Grand Prix. It was at Hockenheim, and it was the long run through the forest. Um, and I thought it was good. I thought it was a great layout, and it did really well. Um, I understand it's probably not as good from a perspective of safety. I understand it's not as good, presumably, from spectators as well, because those were long runs out into the forest. There wasn't necessarily grandstands out there. And if they were, they would have been some distance away from the main paddock with any of the facilities you'd want. But it does stand to reason that since they moved to that shorter infield circuit, it hasn't been as popular. No. Um, but what about Nürburgring? I mean, Nürburgring's been yeah. a, an absolutely legendary track. I know it's not the Nordschleife that we go to these days for yes. what I suspect are yeah. very obvious reasons. Yeah. But you'd never be able to get enough marshals to properly cover all aspects of the Nordschleife. And I know people keep on going, oh, we should be going to Nordschleife. No, it's not an F1 track. We, especially with ground effect, all the elevation changes, they would not work. Like, you know, I mean, the GT cars, for instance, when they do the Nordschleife 24 hour, when they come up to that crest near Flugplatzer, where you can take off if you go too fast, mm. they're actually, um, in the rules, they're actually restricted for that. They have to lift off so as the car stays on the tarmac. They're not allowed to full throttle it over there. Yeah. Um, you know, the Nürburgring was, a, you know, it, it had its good races it had its bad races but i don't know what happened with it it just suddenly sort of died a death it just you know there was it was one minute it was there year in year out and then the next thing it was just um yeah we're not going back there so when we talk yeah. about nurburgring having its good races and bad races i watched the replay of something the other day it might have even been a tiktok video or something and it was obviously designed for people that hadn't followed f1 for decades yeah. and it was showing 
the farcical race there, and I can't even remember what year it was. It's probably either 2008 or 2009, where everybody dove off the circuit at T1 because the rain descended. And then we had the spiker that was leading the race for a while. Marcus Winklehock. Of Marcus yeah. Winklehock, well remembered. Um, and, you know, interestingly, so I, I, I remember watching this. I remember watching it live. What I found fascinating was watching it with a very different perspective. And what yeah. I mean by that was I saw Button go off. I saw Hamilton go off. I saw some of the lower tier drivers go off. There was a, probably about six or seven cars all in the gravel. The yeah. final car to go off that stopped with uh, uh, maybe 10 centimetres to spare wasn't 10 metres to spare from hitting a barrier. It was a JCB recovery vehicle that was on the track to recover vehicles. Now, I watched that with completely new perspective now and thought, why didn't we learn the lesson there rather than let the worst thing possible happen to Jules Bianchi years later? In the same weather conditions as well. Yeah. Yeah. We, it, this is the thing. There are incidents through F1's history that should have been learning points and they just never ended up being learning points. And unfortunately, it's taken an extreme case where action has finally been taken. But yeah, you got a point. You have got a point. Um, I mean, I, I I still miss those days. I think it was actually two thousand and seven. Um, was, was it two thousand seven? Was it Kimmy's title I think, year? Uh, yeah, it was Kimmy's title year. Pretty sure because it was also the last race that Murray Walker ever commentated on for Formula One. Was it really? Because Crofty um, came down with a fever. Murray was there as a spectator, and he jumped in. This is when Crofty was doing commentary for Radio Five Live, and Murray Walker took over the mantle. He said, "Yeah, I'll stand in," and uh, so he replaced Crofty. And it was fantastic because I still I still remember because we were actually out shopping as a family at the time and I was and I was eagerly reminding my dad and mum at the time we need to get home soon because the F1 is on and I am missing the race. Um, and I remember and you missed dad, the exciting start. I remember, yeah, and that's the thing. My remembrance of the start of that race was in the car on the way back home from shopping with Radio 5 Live on that my dad had put on with and all of a sudden I was like this is Murray Walker commentating and he's going that's you know he's going let's go 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 and it was like oh my god like this is absolutely fan fucking tastic um, <laughs> yeah that yeah but yeah it, different era different times man yeah. like crikey that was the year of winglets and every aerodynamic thing you can chuck on a car to get even more and yeah i don't know um i don't really have any more talking points from australia to be honest it was a very bland experience yeah i i thought the same i've got to be honest uh we, we were talking about this before we got together for the podcast and i thought actually there's going to be limited things to say yeah. you know apart from discussing uh a a fairly poor performance from signs and you know that he needs to needs to really get on it some challenging times for vettel mitigated of course by the fact that he's barely had any running in the car and nico was in for the last two races uh issues for max verstappen the latifi stroll incident those were the talking points from the weekend charles never looked like he was at risk he, this was a race that he had in the bag for a long time Checo had another typically Checo solid performance. Yeah. Um, you know, he he is just great at just weaning out these great results. And, you know, I'm not going to rule it out. 
if we get later down the season and we see Charles Leclerc and Max Verstappen going toe-to-toe and taking each other out in races, championships have been won before from people who've been consistently second <laughs> rather yes, than winning have. a race. So you well, never Keke, know. Keke Rosberg was the prime example. He only had one race win that season in his title winning year. Uh, otherwise, it was just his consistency that kept him in it. And while the other guys were all going off the track and taking each other out, he just, okay, I'll just plod along, you know? I'll, yeah. Absolutely. And it works. But, but I mean, back in the day, you know, we used to talk about Alan Prost, the professor, was good uh, at this sort of stuff. You know, he wouldn't put his life on the line to go and try and finish first, second, or third if fourth place was going to be enough for him to take the title or, yeah. or do what he needed. He would do enough to finish in fourth. He'd yeah. be like, right, fourth is title. I'll do what I need to do there. Once I get into that position, I'll do enough to pull away from the car behind. But I'm not going to overdo myself to go for that next one, you know, up the road. So do what's required. That's I think that's, you know, the approach there. Mm. Um, I'm going to move us then across to the driver. Yeah, Yeah, I think so. Let's do that. Um, So as per always, we have the God tier. Very good. Good race. Distinctly average. The poor, the very poor, and the Mazapins of the day awards. So uh, let's see what we've got in store for us today. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm going to go and start us off with the main man of the weekend, Charles Leclerc, who has just controlled the entire weekend. Mm-hmm. What's your thoughts? So I I would be quite interested actually to try and do Charles Leclerc as a team. Let's do it as Ferrari. Let's do both drivers Ferrari. in one. And the yeah. reason I'm interested to do that is because actually I think they are the complete opposite ends of the scale. Um, mm-hmm. Leclerc has to go in the God tier category. He it does. was it was an impeccable race yet again. He was absolutely flawless from start to finish. Whereas Carlos, he did have some poor luck in qualifying. I I don't know whether to give him the Mazapin or well, the very poor I'm, rating. I'm going to be bold and I'm going to say that is the worst display I've seen from Carlos Sainz in a race weekend. I think, I, I think he's overdone it, overcooked it. He's exceeded where his talent expires, you know, and he ran out of talent and he tried an outlandish move in a stupid place to desperately claw back some ground. And he agrees, so uh, yeah. I'm going to say Mazepin of the day. Yeah, yeah. Stanley approved on this one. Well, there we go. Then that's that's all we need. There we go. We're we're, we're done. <laughs> Thanks, Stanley. Um, so the award has been dealt. Um, if we go team by team, then so we'll go Red Bull next, Checo and Max. Obviously, I know Max mm. retired through no fault of his own. Um, he had a brief moment where he was with Leclerc after the safety car, didn't he? But it wasn't once the tire again went off. Max was nowhere. He wasn't. He wasn't anywhere near the pace of that Ferrari. Um, no, he wasn't. Max this weekend, to be honest. Um, I think it was an okay weekend. I don't think it was one of his best though, by any stretch. I don't. I don't. Um, I sort of. I sort of want to give both of them. Goods. I'd undenied as to actually whether I'd give Checo very good because it was a great performance from Checo. But you make a very really valid point in that actually we can't hold Max accountable for his own reliability issues because it wasn't something that he could have managed or done differently. 
Actually, thanks, man. Actually, yeah. See, um, yeah, yeah, maybe it's maybe it's good. Good. Um, yeah. The team performance wasn't as good, but no. the driver performance was was good enough. Just trying to find Max in my little driver list down here. So, where is he? There he is. Yeah, I think it's it's good, um, but just not on Leclerc's level. Neither driver on Leclerc's level. No. Um, it was very clear to see. I don't think I've seen any driver on Leclerc's level so far this year. No. I. But, and I think, and I'm not just talking about raw pace. I'm not just talking about car control. And I equally, I don't think it's just the Ferrari. What Charles is displaying this year is laser focus, consummate professionalism, and he's yeah. completely unflappable. These are all the hallmarks of a future world champion. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, when you see the mm. best and they're in their absolute prime, nothing phases them. Nothing faces them. They're just so focused on the task at hand and bringing the car home. It kind of almost, and I know we're doing a Ferrari to Ferrari comparison, it kind of almost reminds me of how Michael was in his heyday at Ferrari, where he was just so focused on the task at hand and he would just bring home the result, you know. Um, like the, the the Michael versus Mika Hacken and days especially. Um, but yeah. Uh, so next on the list then will be the Mercedes because they were the next car home. So George and Lewis. Um, I'm actually going to say that was a very good race from George. He had the legs on right. Hamilton weekend. Um, I think, like like we discussed earlier, he's just getting on with it, whereas Lewis is kind of flapping. Mm. Um, and again, he was outperformed by his younger teammate. Um, he was. So. You know, I mean, George for a little while was in contention for being one step further up the road until Checo got past him um, when they told him to look after the tyres rather than get stuck into a battle. But, yeah, I, I don't know. Uh, Hamilton is where... The Mercedes is where it, it is on pace. Uh, it's it's not it's not anything exceptional. Um, and they've profited from Verstappen retiring again. Yeah, I agree. I agree. It's, you know, they, they appear to be... This weekend put them solidly back in the third best car on the grid. You know, if, yeah. you, if you look at the fastest laps throughout the race, I think that's a good yardstick because people were all on the hard, the hard tyres throughout. We are seeing that the race pace of the car was better. Um, yeah. and, it, and they were a solid third best team all weekend and they were lucky to get the positions to be the second best team same as they, did, they ended up in, yeah. in Bahrain my worry with Lewis Hamilton is he's starting to display that lack of resilience in his mindset that we've seen from him in the past he started to make some really negative and disparaging comments and that that's usually a sign that things are not going to go well uh, I'm I'm yinging and yanging between an average or a good performance because you know we are talking about Sir Lewis Hamilton, a seven-time world champion, yeah, arguably I mean, the greatest of all time, to be comfortable yeah. with fourth because of a retirement in front of him. No, oh, I mean I was going to say like I, I like I say I think George has done very well to come in and he's just getting on with it. Hmm? Hamilton, on the other hand, though, with just what I'm seeing. Mm, I think that's quite an average performance. You would expect a seven-time world champion, as resilient as Hamilton has been, like you say, over the years, to be dragging the car 
higher than it should be, like Gasly was mm. doing last year and the year before for AlphaTauri, you would kind of think, well, Hamilton's going to do that like he did with that dog of a 2009 McLaren. Yeah. Where he dragged that into some positions that it, by rights, shouldn't have been in. Agreed. I, I, I think Hamilton has lost his focus and mojo at the moment, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to chuck him in average. Yeah, I think it's probably just, fair. Just assuming an R in whether it is very good for George or whether it's just good, but then... Yeah, so I, I was going to say good and average, but I am happy to go with very good for George. I don't want to be accused of favouritism against George Russell because he's in a Mercedes and he's British, but it was, it was a good... Yeah solid drive he held off cars yeah. quite well he raced well I'd, I'd be happy with either i'm gonna lower him to good okay. just on the basis that he didn't fight perez as perhaps as hard as i would have wanted him to but then the team orders did say it hey, look if it's going to damage your tires you need to let him go That's... yes his response to that on the radio was interesting he didn't want to hear it did he? yeah he didn't want to that's hear not that. what i wanted he's... to hear yeah his no, what you want to be hearing is, yeah, you've got so you've we've we've got some stuff you can use, so like, you know, have a bit of have a bit of fun, you know. Mm. But, yeah, yeah, it is what it is. McLaren, though, I will say, a bit of a resurgence. Uh, I'm liking it. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, my my ratings for McLaren are dead easy. It's it's good and good. Um, yeah. they they both had okay qualifyings, decent races. They I I thought they were really hurt by one of the safety cars, but they managed to pull it back. And I mean, what was their gap across the line? They were five half a second apart from each other going across half the line. A second, yeah. You've they've matched each other very well. Um, mm. and that's good. Really good to see from Ricardo. That's mm. I've you know as you know, we, we worry about Ricardo. Um, you know, shows moments of his former self and then disappears again. Yeah. Is this just a brief resurgence because it's his home, home Grand, Grand Prix. Prix? Yeah. You know, it, it, it leaves there, but to be that close to Lando is refreshing <coughs> and good to see. Oh. <laughs> so, yeah, good and good. I'm happy with that. Um, yeah. Alpine is the next one. Ocon P7 and... Well, Alonso weirdly down in seventeenth. They dropped the ball with Alonso, I think. But uh... they did. Now Alonso. Uh, so Ocon. Oh, these are actually. This is the hardest team to score. Um, because I thought Ocon was absent all weekend. I thought he was missing in action. I thought he was no good, and I was all prepared to give him an average or a poor. But then he's pulled out seventh at the last. Equally, Alonso's gone the other way around. He's shown real promise all weekend for getting some solid points and being in a great position. And then at the last, he's thrown it away. Yeah. Some of that's not his fault, and some of it absolutely is. So, yeah. Uh, yeah, I'm really struggling with where to score these guys. What would your thoughts be? Look, if we were to take it as, for instance, the qualifying performance, a lot, and... and you know, I'm I'm painting this in a world where Alonso had finished that lap without the mechanical gremlins. Without the mechanical gremlins, we would have seen Alonso for the first time, I'm going to say, on the front row of the grid. Mm. Uh, he had enough in him there to definitely beat the Red Bull. Um, whether, whether or not in the Sector 3 would have matched the Ferrari, which, as we know, is good through the corners, I don't know. Um, I mean, on, on one lap pace, Alonso was there this weekend. Um mm. And would have been very good. But like you say, beginning of the race, 
he didn't sigh through the field. He didn't, you know, show that one lap pace that we were expecting, and he sort of disappeared for large parts of it. So I, I'm kind of average. A couple of averages for both of the drivers. Averages, yeah. Ocon's just. It's where Ocon seems to be finishing at the moment. Is it's not it's not standout. It's not poor. You know, it's looking pretty par for the course for the Alpine. I would say. Yeah, yeah, I'd I'd go with that. I'm I'm happy with that. I think they're really difficult to score because, like I say, Ocon dragged that car into seventh at the end, but was nowhere at the beginning of the race. Didn't qualify particularly well. Alonso obviously had a great weekend in many respects, and then threw it away. Not entirely through his own fault, but some things were. So, yeah, I think average is probably the fairest we could give them. Yeah. Uh, Alfa Romeo, Valtteri Bottas, more points. Kind of still continuing his streak of points finishes for uh, for the Alfa Romeo team. And kind of rescued it after the qualifying, you know, ending his 103 race run of Q3 appearances. Mm-hmm. Um, first time he's not been in Q3 since 2017. I know, isn't that a scary figure? Yeah, that is, uh, that is terrifying. I mean, God, your little lad there wasn't even a thought back then. Let's see. Yeah. No. no, he wasn't. You know, so... yeah, we were still cooking number two in 2017, let alone number three here. Yeah. Um, sorry, I should call you Stanley, shouldn't I? Not number three. I think it's a good performance from Bottas and an average performance from Zhao. Uh, yeah, Bossas probably could have done a bit better in qualifying. He probably could have got yeah. that car in Q3. What I'm what I'm intrigued by is the pace of his car based on the drivers around him. His fastest lap in eighth place was a 121.6, whereas the three cars ahead of him fastest laps were a 122.4, 122.4, and a 122.2. So his fastest lap of the race was absolutely there same strategy one stop same tire choice really interesting interestingly it was um it was actually even faster than lewis hamilton's time for it was as well yeah, yeah. well 120 where 121.6 is yeah so it's faster than lewis and it's on par with george with a 121 point well that's let's call a spade, a spade. that's a 121.5 so um, yeah, the, the the pace in theory was absolutely there. Yeah, absolutely. Where were we putting um, Joe, his teammate? Average, I average, think. Yeah. yeah, it was an average race. Yeah, P11 probably could have snagged some points had it played out right for him, but yeah, didn't really see a great deal. End of the day for him, he's kept himself out of trouble. He hasn't cost the team like a chassis or anything like that. So yeah, you know. exactly, and that is important. Mm. Um, give a good job to Alpha Tori with Gasly and Sonoda. Well, Gasly, I'm gonna say that's you know a par for the course performance. P9, two points, didn't exceed the car, didn't really underperform in the car. Was just kind of there yeah um but by proxy then yuki has to get uh, a four for bringing it oh, home yeah. in 15th and not not being there yeah yuki for me oh, he just didn't show anything for me this weekend again just not there near his teammate i mean you look at the fastest laps gasly did a 22.7 sonoda did a 23.3 mm. i mean you know he's he's 
he's a good six, seven tenths of a second a lap off of his teammate, which that's kind of the gulf we saw with the big, like Red Bull dropping Gasly for being six to seven tenths off of Verstappen racing race out. Like we say, I think this is the year for Yuki to, you know, he needs to show something. Otherwise, he's out of that out of that car next year. Yeah, I think uh, so as well. I mean, we've seen. I know it's it's the Red Bull B team, but we've seen Red Bull be really cutthroat with how they replace those drivers. And there's plenty of other drivers in the Red Bull. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Um, next on the list, who have we got? Lance, <laughs> Lance Stroll in the Aston Martin. Mazepin, Mazepin, Mazepin. Yeah. yeah. The, the calamitous, like, okay, he's brought the car home 12, he's, he's come home ahead of the Haas cars and whatnot, which is all well and good, but it's just been another weekend full of errors and issues, and again, he's doing nothing for me, to be honest. Um, no, absolutely. It, was, it wasn't a great race weekend, it wasn't a great qualifying, and obviously the issue in practice and the issuance of penalty point for it... Um, I think stands the reason that that it was a, it was a shocking performance for him again. I mean, it was a shocking performance for Master Martin again, but yeah, Lance yeah. in particular did a poor job. Yeah, uh, I mean, likewise, who had a rough weekend. I'm gonna say I'm gonna throw Vettel uh, under the bus a bit. Um, you know, he's he's made some mistakes. He's had some prangs. He's not looked himself. He looked. He still, to in my opinion, looked quite exhausted, quite flushed. Um, and then coupled with uh picking up a five thousand oh for the scooter incident, yeah, scooter on the racetrack, yeah. <laughs> I know. I mean, so I, I, I don't feel I can give him the Mazapin. I no, think he can get very poor, very poor yeah, um, because that's poor. definitely not of his standard. But um, yeah, it wasn't great, and I think there's some mitigating factors in there with potentially long COVID. But we'll we'll see how the rest of the season plays out, and actually, if it is uh, extended COVID symptoms, or is it that he's just lost the love and lost the passion for it? Which, if it's the latter, you know, the question that has to be asked is he not better off handing the mantle over to their reserve driver, who is still fired up for the season, and um, just taking that step away? You know, I, I'm not being funny. Uh, I'm a big advocate of Hulkenberg, and I, I had a discussion with Fergie, as I, as you know, I'm going to be appearing on his podcast um, in, well, I think it's actually live now, there's a link for it somewhere, um, uh, but Fergie's not a lover, he's saying that Hulkenberg's passed it and the young driver should be given the shout, but I disagree, I, I think Hulkenberg, he's showing he's still got the legs, in, you know, definitely putting Lance in his place, which is just <laughs> I oh, agree. Yeah. Quiet, yeah. Come on. Yeah. Uh, I I agree. I think Hulkenberg still, but I do see Fergie's point in that there's a lot of young talent out there that deserve chance and deserves an opportunity. And by putting Hulk back in the car, we're potentially doing those young drivers out of an opportunity. Yeah. That's not to say though. I mean, what I would argue is. Who is the next young driver that's going to come through that will do a better job than Hulk? And there's some good drivers out there, but I don't see I don't see anyone that would do as good a job as Hulk right now. No, no, I I think you're right. Um, and interestingly, I actually don't know. I don't know if actually Aston Martin have actually invested in sort of a young driver stable yet. To be honest, I know there was mentioned they were setting one up, but if they have set it up, 
they haven't made any notable announcements as to say we've got this driver part of the academy da, 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 da. you know it's yeah it leaves a bit of a, a bit of a gap there for them compared to other teams who have got these young driver programs who you know invest in their talent like the ferrari driver academy and the red bull program if aston martin are going down that route they're already sort of clutching a bit at what they can get their hands on initially because they've now got to bat off the Ferraris and the Red Bulls to get in that market. So it's not going to be a yeah. few years, oh. I think. So... No, I think I think you're right. I think you're right. And whilst, you know, we know there's good talent coming through, you know, we, we talked before about your Oscar Piastri's, your Yuri Vips, you know, there's some good drivers there, but they are all in academies at the moment. So actually, if you start your own academy now... In reality, you are looking at three to seven years before someone is three. Yeah, ideally, you're kind of looking at the international level of karting and maybe Formula Four drivers as uh, you know, you're kind of your first signing for the academy, really. Which, as you say, is going to be a good six, seven years down the line before they're even at a standard to be considered for a Formula a Formula One drive. And even then, they've got to get the results in you know, Formula 3 and Formula 2 to get the super licence points to even race the car. So it's it's an uphill struggle. Yeah, um, no, it is. It is. It'll take time. Moving away from Aston, who are just floundering at the moment, Haas, I, I'm going to say it now, and it's a, it's a par for the course performance from Mick, but I'm going to say poor for K-Mag this weekend. Yeah, I could, I'd, I'd probably get along with that. I'd agree with that on, on both counts. Mm. It's K-Mag, you know, I mean, we know what K-Mag's uh, you know, potential and what he's capable of. Um, this this weekend didn't quite have that razor-sharp edge that he's had at the previous two races where, you know, he's been in good points-paying positions and bringing the car home. And... He wasn't massively faster than Mick, if at all, really. Mick out-qualified him, didn't he? So, I mean... He did, yeah. It, was, yeah. Um, it wasn't the greatest show from K-Mags. No. I'm, I'm not prepared to, you know, write him off in any respect based no. on it. I think he's still got a lot to offer. And he's done well so far all season. We'll give him time. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, we've done Yuki. Well, um, we haven't done... We haven't done Williams, have we? Haven't done Williams? No, we we should do Williams, and and I've got some very clear recommendations of what I think the scores are there. It's yeah. good for Albon, and it's another very poor for Latifi. Another weekend all at sea, basically on a fishing trip. Latifi, really, um, the only time he ever even, um, you know, in my opinion, the only time he looked like. He was going to be anywhere higher up was, ooh, if there'd been like a mass pile up and even then he probably would have been last of the runners. I don't think Latifi's showing anything at all for me. Um, yeah, no, not not good. I think that's, is that everyone that we've done? I'm just going to check the driver list. I think these are all the third drivers now. Uh, yeah, they're all third drivers left on the list. So, I mean, that is the list. Um, it is. The only driver missing, of course, who I, I actually think we should have an honorary mention for every weekend, is, uh, is Bert Mylander. 
Yeah, do you know, I need to add his little picture in because, you know, every race he's he's had a part in his lead. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, it, absolutely. 100% lead every lap. 100% record all the way through. Yeah. I mean, the one thing I will say, so as as you know, I've always maintained I'm too old for things like TikTok and I got a TikTok account to a support a fellow content creator who was who was sharing stuff on there and of course have typically become addicted of the the dopamine hit you get from scrolling through. There is a, an entire channel dedicated to the F1 safety car and they measure it against other safety cars around the world and you've seen you know, anyone who's into into motorsport has seen some of the carnage caused by safety cars, like the tour, the the one in Aussie it wasn't Aussie touring cars, but it was some kind of Aussie stock car racing where he pulls out on track and then just sort of blocks the car coming at maximum speed and say it might even be world touring cars and gets taken car. out. He bounces off the wall, doesn't he, and rips the yeah. Mm. Uh... That was World Touring Cars. That was World Touring Cars. And there's loads of examples of really shonky-looking safety cars, or cars being driven very badly, and then they show Burn Mylander, ironically going round Bahrain at dusk, and the brake discs are glowing bright orange, and the cars going sideways and spitting dust everywhere, and the cars, you know, on the ragged edge, and it's like, yeah, the F1 safety car driver knows his shit. He's, he's got things locked down. Well, I mean, the Indy car uh, safety car driver at I think it was St. Petersburg they were racing at, and or one of the street tracks anyway. And he went out of his corner over the crest and then just speared off into the wall. And it was just like, <laughs> what? This is the safety car. And you could see the confusion on the Indy cars. They were like, so do we go past him now that he's crashed, or like what happens here? What do we do? <laughs> just... Exactly. But Burns, you know. I mean, we see them, don't we? They, we get those laps where it's you know, the safety car versus the medical car, and they just <laughs> race each other around the track for a you know for a lap or so. Yeah. John Mylander and uh, uh, Alan Van der Merwe, who yeah. you know, it, it, by his own rights, he's a British Formula Three champion back in the day, back in what two thousand and four. You know, he was racing against the likes of Alvaro Parente and people Ernesto Viso and. Mm. Other such legendary names of the era, you know. Yeah, they both do a great job, and they're under underrated and undervalued in many respects. Yeah, absolutely. You know, to be driving those cars in, especially the medical car, you've got to know your shit. Because mm. if you have an accident on the way to saving a driver's life, then mm, you know questions would be asked. Indeed. Um, but yeah, that's our ratings, guys. They're in the middle of the screen. Let us know your thoughts. We have it interestingly for the first time. We have got no one in the very good category. So you know, mm. it's yeah. Let us know if you agree or disagree, or would have bumped someone up where we've not put them. And yeah, we're always interested to see other people's thoughts, opinions, and all that kind of stuff. Um, but I think it just brings an end to really a kind of a bland F1 race. I mean, what's next on the calendar? Let's have Imola. It is Imola, and that's towards the end of the month. So we've got a couple of weeks, um, which, you know, is, is good. And that's kind of the beginning, isn't it, of the... Uh, well, I was going to say, beginning of the European series. Of course, we then fly to Miami straight after Imola, which... Perfect yeah, placement, I, obvious. Yeah, it's an obvious one, really, when you think about it, isn't it? Yeah. I mean, I know the team's petitioned before the season to place it in and around sort of the Canadian or Cota mm. um, to save flying backwards and forwards, especially with this whole 
green image we're supposed to be giving off. Yeah. Um, but no. So yeah, Imola then off to Miami. We got we're treated to three Grand Prix in May, so it's going to be a busy period coming up. Um, also busy in my personal life as well. <laughs> Indeed, uh, big changes. Big yes. changes. We might yeah. be seeing some uh, some similar podcasting Just... etiquette on your side. Oh God, yeah, 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 absolutely. Uh, we've already got a Silverstone onesie, so uh... <laughs> <laughs> yes. Um, but yeah, I, I think that's it, John. I, I don't have anything more really to bring to the table. I know I said last time there was going to be some other videos I'd bring up on the channel. I haven't finished editing them because I've had some computer issues, but yeah, it'll be there eventually. It'll get there. Any yeah, I agree. Board? I don't think there's a great deal more we can say. There just wasn't no. there wasn't enough this weekend to get me really no. excited. If you were a brand new F1 fan watching for the first time and this was the first race you watched, I think you'd leave feeling, yeah, I don't really get it. Yeah, don't get what the hype was about. You know, what are they raving about this Leclerc and Verstappen battle? Yeah. You know, you, you see that and it's not really there. So, yeah. On to bigger and better things, and I'm sure we will have a good race at Imola. We know it's a track that can have some variable weather. It can present some big accidents, unfortunately, which we never really want to see. Um, no, you know, so the, the rejig of Tamburello seems to have significantly reduced that, but yeah, it's, yeah. it's still it can still be a dangerous track. It'll still bite you if you don't treat it with fairness and respect. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and it's one of the tracks that they used to use a lot of curbing on. So let's see how that goes for ground effect. It'll be interesting to see. Elevation changes are quite yeah, uh, prominent elevation. here as well. Very much so. Lots of crests and dips. Um, you know, it, there, there's a lot of potential here for things to go wrong, mm. if it is going to go wrong. Because the walls are not far away at Imola. So, yeah, you know, and we do still have gravel traps at Imola as well. So, yeah, all of that to take into consideration. Indeed. Well, for me, it's going to be uh, goodbye, much love, and take care. And over to you two. Yeah, and from us, over. it's goodbye as ah. well. You say bye, Stanley. Bye. Bye bye. <laughs> we'll see you next time out here at PPF1. And uh, yeah, for now, take care of yourselves. And we'll see you after the next one. Take care. Bye bye. <laughs> Oh, bless him. Oh. Don't bless him. He's been a right little git. I am going to run is. straight off at this point, though, because I need to go and change his bum, I think. And then oh, I'll, uh, I'm yeah. going to take him back to somewhere dark and try and get him off to sleep. Oh, I might, so. obviously, it's a bit late. We won't have time to do Sochi, but I might come back and do a couple of laps around project cars or something before I pack this away. Yeah, I mean, I'm, I ain't got anything on, so I'll be sat here, uh, probably going to jump on Euro Truck. All right, mate. I'll see you in a bit. Yeah, a bit. Might just change this over to a audio uh, thing. How do I get out of full screen? Oh, there.